0: Welcome to Startup Health Now, the podcast where we talk about the entrepreneurs shaping the future of health and the health moonshots they're working to achieve. I'm Logan Plaster, Editor-in-Chief at Startup Health. For this week's episode, I caught up with Kavi Misri, founder and CEO of Rose Health, who joined Startup Health in 2020. In some ways, Kavi's story is a classic within healthcare entrepreneurship. It goes like this, highly capable healthcare professional comes up against personal health challenge and decides to solve the problem themselves. Kavi's version of this story started with a seven-year stint in healthcare investment banking in mergers and acquisitions. He put in 80 to 100 hours a week, but it finally caught up to him. Like so many people across so many industries, Kavi burned out. He found himself depressed and in need of help. Luckily, he had the wherewithal and social support to seek help, but that's when a personal and emotional challenge became a technical one. He was taken aback by how difficult it was for him to get basic mental health care. He knew there had to be a better way, so he founded Rose Health and got to work. But here's where Kavi's story is unique, at least in my opinion. Rather than stick with the basics of teletherapy and wellness tips, Kavi and his team went to the lab and cooked up a high tech approach to assessing and predicting a patient's mental health. They used natural language processing and deep learning to predict depression. And mood disorder symptoms early. It's truly innovative, and the early study results look very promising. With no further ado, here's my interview with Kavi Misery, founder and CEO of Rose Health. Enjoy. Kavi, thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate you taking a moment of your time.
1: Of course, my pleasure, Logan. It's been an absolute pleasure being part of Startup Health and. was really thrilled to get your email uh, to to have this uh, one-on-one time, so thank
0: you. So I know you're on a health moonshot mission to really revolutionize how primary care physicians handle mental health challenges. I know there's more to it than that, but at a high level. So I want to start with this question. What in your mind is broken today about our approach to mental health, particularly as it pertains to patients coming into their primary care physician?
1: Sure, so what we're seeing is that one third, uh, we're seeing that two, third, two thirds of, of patients who are coming into the practice now are uh, coming into the primary care practice, have some sort of mental health condition. However, they don't have an outlet or they don't have an option of actually getting therapy. So uh, what we're seeing is that 75% of antidepressants are actually being prescribed in the primary care office. Mm. However, uh, that says a lot because there isn't enough, there's too much of a a demand uh, for mental health services by a therapist and by a psychiatrist. However, there just aren't enough of a supply for that. And that what that what that really means is that it leaves the primary care doctor to really be the first line of defense when it comes to mental health. And some a majority of primary care doctors do not have the tools or the expertise in being able to handle a patient's mental health. Um, and then given the, the concerns or at least the given the pandemic, we're seeing a larger increase of anxiety, depression, purely social isolation. So we now see from a historic point where one-third of patients who came into the primary care office had some had at least one mental health condition, now that's doubled to two-thirds. And that's where we see this large gap in being able to integrate mental health into the primary care setting. Because to be quite frank, a lot of these folks who are being seen in the primary care office don't have another option for getting help. It's either getting the antidepressant and then going home, taking the antidepressant, and then ultimately they're going back to the primary care doctor three months later, and then they're getting another antidepressant or an increase.
0: Why has this stayed, the numbers you've, you've mentioned are so big, two-thirds of patients, 75% of antidepressants coming from primary care. Why has this persisted for so long? Uh, you've worked at big health systems like Northwell. Um, I mean, this has been an issue for a while. We could at least say a decade or more. Um, what have been the big institutional hurdles that have, have kept you know, innovation from happening sooner?
1: Sure. So it's been a combination of stigma, uh, infrastructure challenges, and just pure access. I think when you look at when you think about access to mental health care, it, it's it's very complicated, and it's, that's something that I found that it's it's difficult to not just access mental health care. It's difficult to just pro- just purely navigate the mental health care ecosystem. And that really gets in the way of of the person who is actually going through an acute issue or going through an episodic issue. That's the last thing that they really need is to have a list of, uh, if you go to your doctor or you you ask for a referral for a therapist or psychiatrist, the response is you'd have to call the back of your insurance card. And for someone that's vulnerable and in that state, that's you can do that, it will be very difficult. But then, what the outcome is, is that you'll get about 20 different names and 20 different numbers. You'll call 15 of them, 15 of them are going to voicemail. About three of them are just ghost networks where you don't even connect to anyone. Mm-hmm. And you may get in touch with one or two. The one at one may be does not accept your insurance and costs 250 to $300. And then the last one could be your only option. So you'll take it, but they're not available until two months later. And then one unlikely, they're not a good fit. So that in itself, it really explains the problem that we're yeah. seeing. Mental.
0: You know, I know multiple people who have dealt with the exact situation that you just described and have told me because they know I'm in the health space, how frustrating it is. So it's encouraging to know that you're you're seeing that problem, you're working on it. Um, so this would be a good opportunity to sort of give the, the pitch of what uh, Rose Health, what you've built, um, how it addresses that need.
1: Yes. So uh, I'll start with a little bit of background on how I saw the need and how Rose became to be what it is today. Um, Rose was started about two and a half years ago, primarily based on two realizations that I had. One was a pure market need realization, and the other was a personal realization. So my background was in healthcare investments. I spent about seven years working as a healthcare M&A investment banker for J.P. Morgan and SunTrust, and then I transitioned over to a role at Northwell Health. At Northwell Health, I had an operating role in their strategy team and was fortunate enough to be part of building out... Northwall's health insurance company called Care Connect. And at Care Connect, that's where I really saw the importance of digital therapeutics and how important they were for chronic conditions, specifically for cancer and heart disease. But then also seeing that there really weren't many digital tools, or if any, digital tools available for mental health. And as a young executive, we saw on, a, on our weekly meetings, mental health would be something of major concern because our expenditure just kept increasing um, week over week because of pure decompensation of our members and then also because of um, leakage where our members were going to outside the network. So I saw this large need for mental health on the business side But what really took it to the next level was on the personal side. So after working the 80 to 100-hour work weeks for seven years, I finally burned out. And it was at that point that I fell into my own depression when I burned out. And I learned very quickly that depression isn't a passive state. It might seem that way to people on the outside. But to the person depressed, it's an active state of pain that really takes over your entire body from the tip of your hair all the way to the bottom of your feet. And it was at that point that I experienced mental health care for the first time. And I was just blown away by the inefficiencies and not just accessing care, but navigating the mental health care ecosystem as a whole. And I saw the same happening with my fellow friends and colleagues. And it was something that just was so painful that I wouldn't want my worst enemy to go through it. So I decided to do something about it. And that's where I leveraged my experience as an investor, as an entrepreneur, but most importantly, as a patient to build Rose to what it is today. And I've been really fortunate to have execs on my team, Johns Hopkins execs like Dr. Matthew Peters and Dr. Adam Adam, who have led the clinical direction of building Rose to what it is today. And what ROSE is, ROSE is an acronym for recognition of speech and emotion. So what we do is we leverage uh, we leverage technology for early detection of depression and mood disorder symptoms. And as it, how the process works is that we're a business-to-business to consumer model. Okay. So we sell the product directly to clinicians, clinicians being uh, therapists, psychiatrists, and mostly primary care doctors, since that is our focus right now. And then the primary care doctor would then direct the patient to use the ROSE application. Um, once the patient downloads the, the ROSE application, they would and ask to do a two clinical assessments the PHQ-9, the patient health questionnaire, nine questions, and the general anxiety disorder, seven questions. And that really gives us a really good understanding and a baseline of how the patient is doing. Then on a daily basis, we would then, the the patient would then interact with the app. And that's where the beauty of ROSE really shines, is in that data collection, that massive data collection, where on a daily basis, there. Entering their daily mood, their daily anxiety throughout the day, whenever, wherever they are, and then they journal. Journaling has been shown to be extremely helpful in the therapy, in the therapy process. But what What, we've done.
0: What would you say to skeptics who are really sort of married to the traditional uh, mental health model? with in-person therapy, uh, what would you say to people who say there's no way that like a mobile app with automated check-ins and pings could um, help somebody with anxiety and depression the way that in-person could?
1: Right, so we have, uh, we've we've heard that many of times and then we've been able to mitigate that by having the user act and that person use the Rose app. So Rose is meant to augment services we are not meant to replace or replace the clinician or replace the therapist or replace any part of the process we're just making the processes much much smarter and that's really where the deep tech comes in because what we really shine on is our in-house natural language processing system that we that we leverage during journaling so the patient would journal and we would then leverage the NL, NL, our NLP for to detect uh for leveraging sentiment analysis to detect semantic tone and that really gives us a really good understanding of how the patient is doing so we now know whether they're having issues with financial issues with work issues with relationship issues And that ultimately creates what's called the ROSE score. So, the ROSE score is essentially a person's mental health credit score. Okay. So, based on the ROSE score, we would then know how well the clinician, as well as the ROSE platform, will know how to direct treatment for the patient. So, based on the ROSE score, Rose, the the app, would push targeted content for self-care in the form of articles, audio recordings, and videos, all aimed at targeting that patient and providing them with real-time articles and and self-care so that they can build coping mechanisms as well as build their mental health resiliency. So we understand it's the same as... As uh, mental health and physical health is is almost it's it's important to integrate both. But it's it's similar analogy is similar to um, to diet and exercise. So you can do your exercise, but then you can have a really bad diet, and then it 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 wouldn't work. So what we do is we we therapy. Or in some cases, the primary care doctor, yeah. um, and then we leverage the self-help and the, the coping mechanisms to help the patient through the process.
0: Interesting, I, as you can appreciate, since you're in the market, you know the mental the health innovation market for mental health is exploding. You've got a um, a million wellness apps uh, trying to help you through meditation tips. You've got teletherapy just linking you up over your mobile device with a therapist. And what I'm hearing is that you're really talking about something uh, a bit different with using these deep learning techniques, natural language processing, AI, to really assess someone um, through the algorithm and not just link them into tele- not just link them into telemedicine, not just give them uh, wellness tips. So how, if that's the case, how unique is your approach?
1: So our approach is is unique in the sense that this was all developed in-house. So we have an in-house NLP platform that can assess text so we can pick up on semantic tone. We are working on speech and audio. Mm -hmm. So if the the patient does not want to type, they can just record themselves and record a journal. And we're able to detect semantic tones through that. And then also we're working on being able to leverage video analytics. So if they don't want to text or do a speech, they can do a selfie or a recording, and then we can we can leverage our process for detecting microfacial expressions, so we can detect depression, anxiety, and trauma. And this is extremely important. The early detection piece is critical, and rose is really what would have helped me three years ago when I burned out. Because males in general have this stigma of not being able to uh see therapy or having the natural macho aspect of um not needing therapy, but then when it comes to black, brown, Asian uh, cultures there's that stigma and you really don't know how to express yourself and that's really where it came down with me where I didn't know how to express myself or I didn't have a tool so what where the beauty lies in Rose is that you can interact with the Rose app but the Rose app is learning more about you and knows how you're tracking before you even know what's going on with yourself, and that is all relayed in real time in a clinician-facing dashboard. So your clinician also sees that data, and with the rose score, we're able to bucket that patient into either green, yellow, red alerts, so that if so, the clinician knows exactly how to deal and how to assess that patient. Uh, to ensure that it doesn't, there isn't that decompensation from stress to anxiety, anxiety to depression, depression to self-harm, self-harm to suicide. And that's where the beauty of Rose really lies.
0: Yeah. I know you've done a fair amount of research at Hopkins around this. this is something that you you has been deeply researched. So I think the next, as a putting on my patient hat, the next question is: Well, does that really does it really work? Does it work to try to read my expressions and get and, and uh, come up with a number about how anxious or depressed I am? So what are some of your what are some of those killer stats you use to explain um, that? Yes, this actually is a validated thing.
1: So we we conducted, given our background uh, within Hopkins, our academic backgrounds and the credibility that we maintain with, our, with ourselves, we completed a phase one IRB study in, at a practice in Baltimore. Um, it was a relatively large practice that sees about 1,500 behavioral health patients. And that was a five-week IRB study where we had 45 patients enrolled. 30 were on the intervention arm, 15 were on the control. Uh, both sides were receiving psychotherapy once a week. They were both receiving medication. However, the intervention arm received ROSE and the control did not. After that five weeks, we saw that 80% of patients use the ROSE app every single day for that five week period. We saw that 97% of them completed their PHQ9 and GAD7 scores. And something we were not looking for, because this was really just a feasibility and utility study, we saw that seventy three percent of patients improved with their depression, going from severe depression to mild to moderate depression when compared to the control arm. Wow! So that in itself was really what what took us to the next level with such promising data. And it is now teeing us up for a phase two IRB study at Hopkins, where we are doing 150 to 200 patient phase two efficacy study to show how all of this combines together is really enhancing the patient experience, the clinician experience, as well as being efficacious and helping the patient.
0: Mm. I know a big piece of this is giving tools to primary care physicians who probably feel very frustrated, even inadequate at times, not having the tools they need to help the patient in front of them. That's why they got into this business uh, was to help these patients. And they might not, you know, if you don't have somewhere to refer someone who's got anxiety, you feel, you feel terrible. So what are some of the reactions you've gotten from providers, um, clinics that you've worked with? How is that relationship looking?
1: Yeah. So we completed a phase, we completed a five-month accelerator program at Johns Hopkins, where we looked directly into how we can integrate mental health into the primary care sector. Mm-hmm. And based on that, that's how we got the data that shows exactly this large open opportunity and large market. We were seeing that that's that I mentioned before. 75% of antidepressants are prescribed in the primary care setting. That's alarming because what that means is, because, is that there just isn't another option. Mm. When you, when you, when we did the, the analysis and we did the study, we saw that there was an overlap. When we overlapped the, all primary care doctors with uh, with psychiatrists as well as therapists in the United States, we saw a significant shortage and a. Uh, uh, ultimately a psychiatrist or a behavioral health desert in the United States. Hmm. What that really means is that these, these patients who are coming in, they don't have another option. Yeah, It's the primary care as the first line of defense. And that's where Rose comes in because Rose provides a solution that can connect them, connect the patients to a clinician we have a matching algorithm so we've created our own matching algorithm based on clinical data evidence based data on demographics as well as certain questions that that matches a patient more efficiently with a clinician so that allows us to now be in a position of get that patient to a clinician now it's so much easier because of telehealth so we've integrated telehealth into our system as well so we're getting that patient that behavioral health integration. But even if if that isn't the case, worst case scenario, that that patient just cannot cannot afford therapy, cannot find therapy, we've built ROSE to be sustainable enough that it is becoming a digital therapeutic Mm. where we can provide this deep tech to allow for providing coping mechanisms, but most importantly, building that mental health resiliency, mm.
0: And doing so and in, a, in a truly scalable way, That's what I'm hearing.
1: In a truly scalable way. And also, if all those stats doesn't amaze you, clinicians, specifically primary care doctors, well, actually all clinicians, can actually get reimbursed for using the ROSE platform. Mm. So they can actually get reimbursed using... The remote patient monitoring codes. Clinicians can get reimbursed about 135 dollars per patient per month, and we're seeing across across the country that about 95 percent of payers are covering it. United Healthcare, for example, is covering it across the board, Mm. and it's just been that's just added another layer of us as a as a company that the ethos is on helping people, it's really allowing us to scale because we're now getting this product out there to rural America and into a a place where we, we now have the opportunity to help people where with their mental health, where there was no solution and with remote patient monitoring, it ultimately is incentivizing the practice to do monitoring on the patient. And the beautiful thing about this is that 90% of the work is actually done by the medical assistant. So it's a significant product um, that helps all stakeholders from the patient, empowering them, building coping mechanisms and mental health resiliency. The clinician can be satisfied and have better quality measures. And then also the they're they're able to generate a lot of money ancillary found money for services that they were already doing and then the payer and health system they're benefiting as well because that patient isn't seeing a decompensation and they're not ending up in the er or they're not ending up in the urgent care so
0: yeah it's, it's beautiful You know, it, rem- it reminds me of a conversation that we had st- at Startup Health. We do these weekly office hours with experts. And we had in a gentleman um, from a, a, a firm that does consulting in AI. And he mm-hmm. talked about how the future isn't just in telemedicine, it's in smart telemedicine. And you're mm-hmm. talking about scalable yeah. telemedicine, augmented telemedicine. Sorry. If I was a patient or even or a clinician listening to this, I would say, sounds great. Uh, I want it. <laughs> how do I get it? Um, so the question with so many health innovators is about implementation. Uh, how, have, how have you rolled this out? Kind of who's using it? And what's the expansion plan?
1: Sure. So we have therapists, psychiatrists, and now we're going after the large open market of primary care to use the platform. We're leveraging a combination of uh, the pharmaceutical rep model plus heavy digital marketing to get the product out there. Who's using it? Uh, we have six pilots that are in the works, mm-hmm. with one with Brigham and Women's Hospital. We were one of 86 companies that they looked at and chose mm-hmm. to provide the growth solution to their emergency department to help their frontline workers with physician burnout and building mental
0: health resiliency for and the f- for the physicians not to prescribe that's, to patients that's exactly. very interesting
1: for the physicians which in itself could be a niche market but it shows the value of rose in that it is a, a powerful device that can really help that anyone specifically a physician um and we also have a another pilot with hca healthcare one of the hca healthcare hospitals coliseum medical center where it's a similar approach we're providing the solution to resident students resident medical students to help with their mental health and build mental health resiliency and then where we are uh, in the works from hopkins with three different pilots Um, as well to be able to integrate this into the child and adolescent market, into um, the Department of Psychiatry, and most importantly, into the primary care division of Hopkins.
0: It sounds like the end of 2020 and 2021 are gonna be busy years for you. Oh yes, it's
1: been been a busy time since day one, but definitely a busy time, especially given our fundraising right now as well.
0: Yeah. Uh, you're in the middle of a round
1: we are yes so we have a lead investor who has completed diligence uh we're raising a two million round and we have about a million and 1.2 million committed so far so we anticipate we anticipate closing the round at the mid end of october
0: how did um how did covid uh change your market, change the way people looked at Rose um, and any of the adoption curves that, that you were looking yeah. at? Yeah,
1: so COVID ultimately gave us an opportunity that we probably would not have had uh, to roll this platform out. We grew 1,500% in within three months. 1,500. Zero zero. 1,500. Zero zero. Okay. And that was really through our aggressive digital marketing and just the pure need for a solution. You think about it, the Rose platform is the ideal situation for COVID. You have social isolation, anxiety, depression at its highest, and then you have appointments that are either being canceled or being held uh, through telemedicine or just purely people who are uh, where clinicians can benefit from doing remote patient monitoring where they can they can actually see how their patients are either progressing but more importantly regressing that is the main piece yeah so covid has really taken this business to another level
0: interesting and well, i, think I it, sorry no you go ahead
1: no and i think it, it's 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 a very defining moment for mental health. I think this is the beautiful time for telemedicine where this is a silver lining for not just ROSE, but a lot of telemedicine, remote patient monitoring, um, big data, leveraging data. This is the opportunity we're getting to really show that there is so much potential out there in being able to leverage technology in healthcare, specifically in mental health care, to not just address the way that mental health care is delivered, but also just address to purely the way that it's perceived. Mm-hmm. So we see this as a grand opportunity to really just fundraise and roll the product out there and get it out in the masses.
0: Awesome, uh, Kavi. To close, just on a slightly more personal note, you opened up about you know dealing with your own depression. Um, you're dealing with the stresses of uh, being an entrepreneur, uh, running a startup, um, burning the candle at both ends. I'm sure. You know what keeps you motivated during this time?
1: Yes. So what what keeps me motivated is my passion for mental health, and I would say it's the same for the rest of the team. Going, being a patient, and going through that burnout phase was the worst time of my life. Mm. Um, And as someone who has, I've been in in healthcare for my entire life, regarding uh, from studies all the way to working. uh, This was a this was a way for me to actually have a high impact on people's lives because I see the hurt. You can just imagine all of the hurt and all of the sadness that can really, that could have stopped, but didn't. And I think that's where Rose really shines and the passion that we have. The beautiful, the most beautiful piece about Rose is our team. Mm. And our team is so dedicated to making a difference in, in, Like I said, not making a difference in not just the way mental health care is delivered, but the way that it's perceived. And that's really what gets me up at 6am and is allows. And also I use the Rose app. So now there's no more burnout because I personally use the Rose app. And Mm -hmm. it was the ideal product that would have helped me three years ago.
0: Awesome, awesome. Well, Kavi, thank you for taking the time to let me in on this story. Thank you for, for meeting a massive unmet need in the market through this smart platform, this natural language processing. You know, I'm excited to see where it grows in terms of recognizing facial expressions and being able to transcribe your feelings in the journaling. It makes a lot of sense. And I know people in my personal life who would benefit from it. So I thank you for, for your work and for taking the time with me today. Startup Health invests in health transformers from around the world who are committed to achieving audacious health moonshots. If you want to learn how you can join this community of entrepreneurs, or if you want to connect with one of our 330 companies, go to startuphealth.com. Thanks for listening to Startup Health Now. We'll be back next week.